This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Two of them that I'd like to talk about tonight. In Hilchah's Tshuva and the Rambam, there's a very scary chapter. Can I move? Am I allowed to walk around? Or the mic will pick me up? No, the mic won't pick me up. I have to be able to walk around. Okay, it's fine, it's fine. So, it says the following, listen carefully. It says that a person sometimes can do a sin, a verah, so many times over and over and over and over again that the avera becomes part of you. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. The shul's too nice. I don't want to touch anything. I'm nervous. Okay. So the avera can become part of you. You don't. You don't have a choice. Every person is born, they have a choice, they have Bechira. Should I go to the club? Shouldn't I go to the club? Should I hang out? Shouldn't I hang out? Should I talk by Tefillah? Shouldn't I talk by Tefillah? Should I say Lashon Hara? Shouldn't I say Lashon Hara? Right? Everybody has a choice, everyone has Bechira. But anyone who does an Avera over and over and over and over again, they lose their choice. And this is very scary. This was the Rambam says the following inside I'm going to say it just for the words. The Efshan maybe she yechta Adam Gadol, a person could do such a big sin, or or many, many sins. The judge, this is what we're going to talk about, brings the, 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 the angels, bring it in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and Hashem doesn't give you permission anymore to choose. A person can lose the greatest thing that everyone in this room was given when you were born. The difference between us and an animal. The difference between us and a bug. The difference between us and a fish or a bird is that we have choice. We have Bechira. That's a present, a matana, that Hashem gives every man and every woman in this world. And that is the greatest present that we could have. But the Rambam says that if a person does an Avera over and over and over, he loses his choice. So when I taught this in class, everyone said to me, Rabbi Wallerstein, that's not fair. Hashem has to give you a choice. He can't take away your choice. And the answer is, Hashem didn't take away your choice. You took away your choice. Someone's an alcoholic. He drinks and he drinks and he drinks and he drinks and he drinks. And he comes to the table and you put a, a bottle of vodka in front of him. Or a bottle of scotch in front of him. He has no choice. He's an alcoholic. When he sees a drink, he needs a drink. But he's still a human being. He didn't turn into an animal. He didn't turn into a bug. He's still a human being. But he has no choice because automatically in his head, if he sees a drink, I need a drink. A person who smokes a cigarette. A whole Shabbos, he doesn't smoke. I hope. 
But one second Shabbos is over, they have it in their talus bag and underneath the seat. The, the first guy's out of the shul, he's got to have a cigarette. What happened? Well, you can't wait another five minutes? You can't wait another two minutes? No, I can't. Why? Because I lost my choice. I don't have a choice anymore. I need a cigarette. Same thing in the, in the spiritual world when it comes to Navera. You do Navera over and over again, you lose your choice to say no. A person can lose the choice to say no, and everyone has that Avera, that sin, that he has no control or she has no control over. That she has lost or he has lost the power to say no. There's a very fascinating and scary story that's brought down in a sefer called the Kav Hayasha. This is a book, this is a sefer that was written 350 years ago. A very, very great rabbi who was also a very big Mekubal. It's a scary story, and I apologize if anyone in this room will be scared because I'm telling this story. But it's a very important story for Rosh Hashanah. And he says the following story. There was a very, very rich man. He lived in a city, he was very, very rich. But he could not give tzedakah. People came to his house, poor people, they asked him, could you give us a penny, a quarter, a nickel, a dollar? No, get away from me, go away. I don't give tzedakah. People needed help, he wouldn't help anybody. In fact, he was such a miser, a miser is a man who doesn't give charity, that he did not come to shul, to Beis Knesset. he did not come on Monday and Thursday. Because on Monday and Thursday, when they took the Torah out, all the poor people used to come collecting. So he wouldn't go to shul, he wouldn't go to Beit Knesset on Monday and Thursday. He didn't want to give tzedakah. But the same man who did not give tzedakah was a mohel. He did bris milahs for little children. For some reason, the Kaviyasha doesn't explain, but for some reason, he did this for free. He wouldn't give anyone money, he wouldn't help anybody, but if you had a baby and it was eight days old and you needed a mohel, and he was a good Moel, he would come, and he would do it for free. And not only that, he would travel to any village that needed a Moel. He would travel expense-free. He wouldn't charge any money. So on one side, and many of us are like that, on one side we can't give ourselves, we can't help people, but on the other side, there's this one thing that we do. He was this way. He could not give tzedakah, he could not give a penny. But if you need me to be a moel, I'll be a moel. Says the Kaaba Yasha, one day, there's a knock on his door. He opens the door, there's this beautiful looking man, tall, strong looking man. And he says, I'm here, I heard you're a moel, and I just had a baby, and I need you to come to my house, and I need you to do a bris milah. Okay? No problem, he ran upstairs. He got his brisket and with all the things he needed for the bris and he jumps on the man's wagon and he's ready to go. Okay? So, they travel in this wagon for three days through mountains, through the woods, through all kinds of places, through a midbar, through a desert and finally, they come to this little village in a valley. 
a few houses, very, very beautiful houses. And the man says to the Moel, listen, I'm going to put the horses in the barn. You go into the house and wait for me. So the Moel goes into the house and he's sitting there and he hears a baby crying. And he sees a door that's a little bit open. He knocks on the door and he hears a woman's voice. And the woman says, who is it? And he says, it's the Moel. She says, Baruch Hashem, come into the room right away. He says, you sure I can come in the room? Everything. Yes, come into the room. I have to talk to you. Before my husband gets here, come into the room. I have to talk to you. He's a little nervous. Why would a woman talk like that? Come into the room. I have to talk to you before my husband. Okay. He walks into the room. And she says, listen, before he gets home, I have to tell you what he is and who he is. My husband is not human. This is a true story. This is not a joke. My husband is a Shindalid. A Shindalid is a, is a creature that was created Ben Hashmashot Erev Shabbos. It's not human and it's not an angel. It's a very big troublemaker. It's from the dark side. It's called a changeling. It's Koach is that it can change its whole body to look like anything. A lizard, a cat, a human. The only thing it cannot change is its feet. The Gemara talks about it. They have webbed feet, like a chicken. The famous story, the Gemara talks about Shlomo Melach with Ashmedai, the king of the, of the Shindalids. And Ashmedai fooled him and took Shlomo Melach and the whole Machlekes in the Gemara, threw him across the world. And Shlomo Melech was running around the world saying, I'm the king, and they said, no. There's a king in Yerushalayim. He, that's Shlomo Melech because Ashmedai changed himself to Shlomo Melech. In the end, he came back and they made him take off his shoes and they saw that Ashmedai was a shade. And they, they, Shlomo Melech, they wrapped him in a chain and they sent him back to Shemayim. So she said to this Moel, be careful. My husband is not human. And nobody in the village is human. They're all Shindalits. She says, but I am human. I am a Jewish girl that was captured by these Shindalas when the city was destroyed. And they took me, as a, and I grew up here, and I married this man, and I had a child. In fact, we learned from this, the halacha, that if it's, a, if it's a human woman, the child still has to have a bris mila, even if the father is not human. That's not what I'm talking about tonight anyway. She said, listen to me. She said, if you take anything from him, if he gives you a drink and you drink from it, you will never leave the village. You belong to them. You cannot take anything from them. That's how they get you to become their servant. This is saying to himself, look what my chesed got me. Don't so many of us think of that. We do a chesed, we pick somebody up, and we end up getting a parking ticket. We do a chesed, so many times we do something good and it looks like we're getting punished for it. So here was this, if we could understand this, this Moel, who the only good thing he did in his whole life was he did bris milas, and now look what Hashem did to him. He's stuck in a village three days away from any human beings with a bunch of shindalids. What can he do? I'm going to do the bris. 
in walks the Shindalid. Of course, the mild didn't tell him whether he knew anything. He says, come, sit down. Let's have something to eat. Can I offer you something to eat? Now, this mild can't take anything. If he takes anything, he's finished. He says, listen, I'll tell you the truth. I'm very, I'm very tired. I have a terrible headache from the trip. I just want to go to sleep. And he says, but tonight, the night before the bris milah is the Zohar. The night before the bris milah, you got to come and join with us. We're going to have food and drink. He says, if you want me, my hands not to shake tomorrow, I need to sleep. I'll wake me up tomorrow morning for the bris. And the Shindala didn't suspect anything. And Kachaya, that's what he did. He wakes him up from the bris. The mile gets up, he davens, and he comes to the bris. And he does the bris milah. He does the bris. After the bris milah, they sit down to Suda. And now they're all sitting there, the whole, all these male shindalids. And they say, Kavod, Amoel, wash, Mekamotzi. He goes, I'll tell you the truth. Oh, the whole night I was throwing up. I'm so sick. I feel so miserable. I just, I just, I just got to go home and, and take medicine. Just, let, I want, I want to go. I want to leave. And Shindala said, "No, you can't leave. We have to, I have to pay you." He says, "No, I don't take any money. No, no, no. Come with me. I want to show you what I have." And he takes the Moel, this human being, into a room full of gold. As the Gemara says, they like to steal things. If a person doesn't wrap up his money, they steal. They like to steal things. They're, they're big troublemakers. So all the pirate ships that sunk and all the things in the world that are missing, that we're looking for, they have it. So he opened up a room and he shows him a room full of gold, beautiful gold things from the beginning of the world. And he says to the Moel, anything in the room, whatever you want. You did a bris for my son, it's yours. And he looks around the room and he says, I don't need anything. In case you don't know, I'm very, very rich. I'm a very rich man. I don't need any gold. I'm not interested. And the Shindala can't believe that this human being is not taking anything. Okay, okay, come into the next room. He brings him into the next room. It's full of diamonds and jewels and all kinds of sapphires and pearls. And he says to the Moel, take something from this room. And the Moel says, you don't seem to get it. I'm very, very rich. I don't need anything. And finally he says, let me take you to the third room. And hanging in the third room. There's a bunch of keys. And in walks the the Moel. And he turns white. And he begins to shake. And the Shindalit says, I don't understand. I took you to a room of gold? No effect. I took you to a room of jewels? No effect. A room of keys? Stainless steel, brass, metal keys? And look at you. You're shaking. And the Moel turns to the Shindalit and says, those keys on that wall, those are my keys. That's my keychain to all 
my social security boxes, my bank accounts. Those are the keys that I keep secretly in my house. How did you get my keys? And the Shindala turns to him and says, do you know who I am? He says, no. He says, I'm the king of the Shadim. And when the first time a man came to you for tzedakah, and you said no, and then you said no again, and no again, and no again, and no again, Hashem gave us rishus to take your keys away from you. You know why you cannot give tzedakah? You know why when a poor person who's starving at your doorstep, and sometimes in your heart you're like, I want to give, but I can't. Because you lost your keys. We have them. A person can lose his keys, girls and boys. You can lose your choice. You can want to learn Gemara or come to Minyan, and you can't do it. You cannot want to say Lashon Hara, and you have to. Because so many times on your own choice, you said, I don't want to give tzedakah, I don't want to learn, I don't want to daven, I want to talk Lashon Hara. So the other side gets your keys, and they own your keys. And here, this poor man, this poor Moyle is standing there opposite a Shindalid. And the Shindalid says, you know who I am by now. You know I'm not human, I know. You didn't take food, you didn't take gold. You're very smart. Somebody tipped you off. My wife. But that's okay, you did us a favor. So I'm going to let you take your keys. And the Moyle says, no. No, I'm not going to fall for that. And the Shindalit took a shvuah, made a swear, and he said, you can have back your keys because the mitzvah that you did, you did a bris on my son. And they let him go. This is not a story from a book. In the library, this is not a movie. This is not the king and I. This is not Beauty and the Beast. This is not some kind of thing that you see on Broadway. This is a kahayashar. This is a safer that writes the truth, the MS. From this Kavayashar, there's so much halacha that comes out, and what's the din on a child that's born from such a from such a union? Do you have to give it a brisk? This is not a joke. This is a safer that's written from the other side. The secrets of the other side. He's telling us, girls and boys, you can lose your keys. You can stand on Rosh Hashanah and not be able to do tshuva. You can come to shul and say. I want to say I'm sorry, Hashem, but I can't. How many of us stand every Rosh Hashanah for 30 years, 20 years, 15 years, and say, this year I'm going to be different. This year I'm going to change. This year I'm not going to talk with Tzilah. This year I'm going to be Shomini Giyah. This year I'm not going to go to clubs. This year I'm not going to look at things I'm not supposed to. And you go through the same year and nothing changed. It's Rosh Hashanah, Tavshin, Samaches, Samach Zayin, Samach Vav, 20 years, and you didn't change at all. And you don't understand. You stand and say, I wanted to, Rabbi. I wanted to change. What's going on? 
Why can't I change? Because the whole year, you did it over and over and over and over. Every Saturday night, you went to club, club, club. Now you come, you want to change? You don't have the keys. You gave up your keys. You lost your keys. It's very scary. And we all go through it. I want to change, Hashem. I love you. I can't. I stand there with Shoshonim Kippur. I promise I'm going to change. And you don't. Because you don't have the key to change. Because the whole year you did the same thing over and over and over. So how do we get our keys back? How do we get our keys back? So listen to the end of the story. The end of the story. The Moel goes back to town. And he walks over to the rabbi and he says, I want to build a shul. And the rabbi says, you want to what? I want to build a shul. And I want to build a house for poor people. And I want to build a guest house. And I want to build a yeshiva. And I want to build a kolel. And he takes his checkbook and he starts writing. Million dollars building, million dollars for this, million dollars for this, million dollars for Ornava, for Chazak, million dollars for this. He went crazy! And the rabbi calls him into the room and says, what happened to you? You didn't give a penny. You're building the whole, the whole, the whole town. And he looked at the rabbi and he said, Rabbi! Hashem gave me back my keys. I can give tzedakah. And the rabbi said, tell me the story. And he told him the whole story. And the rabbi told him something that we all need to know. The rabbi said, the midah keneged midah, how do you get your keys back? Take a mitzvah, any mitzvah. Doesn't matter. Girls, boys, doesn't matter what mitzvah you take. Take one mitzvah. And do that mitzvah over and over and over. The kavanah, the right way, whether it's tzitzis or tefillin or minyan, whatever it is. Do that mitzvah, that's your mitzvah. Everybody knows, don't talk to Miriam, she doesn't talk Lashon Hara. She may do that, she may do this. Lashon Hara, don't even go near her. She'll give you a whole speech. This guy, betfilah for an hour he does a lot of other things wrong. But once he walks into Beit Knesset, don't even try to speak to him. Take a mitzvah and do it over and over and over. And just like when you do an Avera over and over and over, you lose your key. When you do a mitzvah over and over and over, you get back your key. So the rabbi said to the Moel, Bishchut, and the merit that you did bris milah for free all these years, no matter who came, no matter how far. Bris milah? He never said no. That was the schus that you ended up in a town of Shindalas in the biggest danger. But look what happened. You got back your key. The greatest thing that happened to him was that he was caught in that place and that he got to find his keys. So many times, girls and men, when we do something good and we think, oh, Hashem, look what you're doing to me. Here he was. He's, he does bris milah. Now you send me to such a town? Yes, I sent you to such a town to find your keys. We don't know the secrets of Hashem. So tonight, everyone that walks out of here, pick a mitzvah. 
in your head, doesn't matter, any one of the 630 mitzvahs, and say for the next year, Hashem, this mitzvah, there's nothing to talk about. If, I, if I'm going to take on 15 minutes of learning, at 9 o'clock, there could be a world war. There could be a billion dollar deal. There could be, I don't care what, 9 to 9.15, that's my time I give to you, Hashem, and nobody can touch it. Mitzvah tzitzit, mitzvah tzvilin, mitzvah not to talk Lashon Hara, mitzvah tzniyus, mitzvah shmiras enayim, to watch what you look at. Whatever it is, this is my mitzvah for the oncoming year. Please give me my key, Rosh Hashanah night. Give me back my keys. I want to change. Give me back my keys. Not all of us can do that. There's some people in this crowd that are already in their head. I'm in their head, I see it. One guy just decided, that's it, I, I don't wear tzitzes, I'm wearing tzitzes. Everybody's in their head right now thinking, what could I do? That's not too hard. It's not going to cost too much. It's not going to be too much time. But what mitzvah could I do that I could take on? And some people are like, eh. The rabbi's asking for too much. Not many. So far, only six. <laughs> and of course, not on this side of the room. They're all on that side of the room. Don't worry. There's another secret. And the secret is, anyone who's ever been in a hotel knows that if you lose your key, they send up the bellboy, the bellhop, or the manager with what they call a skeleton key. Or a key that opens all the doors in the hotel. Many of us, when we were young, we did things. Now we're doing things that we shouldn't do. And we know which keys we've lost. But God... Hashem, Avinu Malkeinu, Hashem Elokeinu, He has the master key. He holds the master key to the whole world. And therefore, even if you can't take on something to do a whole year, cry Rosh Hashanah to Hashem, and say, you're the manager of the world, I lost my key. You gave me a key, you gave me choice. When I was born, you said, ya- Yaakov Chaim, you have choice. I lost it. Sorry, I lost it, Hashem. But you're the manager of the world, and you have the master key. Hashem, I love you. Give me, open the door for me. Open the doors for me. Help me find my key. That's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Rosh Hashanah is a time to come back to God and to say, Hashem, I really want this. I can't do this. I'm an alcoholic. Spiritually, I'm an alcoholic. Any time that they was in front of me, I can't walk away from it. When I hear a bunch of girls talking bad about someone else, I'm like, ha ha you know what, you think you know something bad, listen, what I have to say. Oh, my friends invite me, what's the Shabbat? Let's go hang out. I don't know how to say no. I want to say no, but I can't say no. My key's hanging in some Shindalad's closet somewhere. But I curse Baruch Hu, God, you have the key. You're the manager. Help me open the door this year. Help me change. That's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. That's a story brought down in the Kavi and It's a very serious story. I myself, oh, sorry about that. I didn't turn my phone off. Ah, okay. We found my key, Rosh Hashanah. It's a very serious Kavi I brought some cookies and cake tonight. Everyone must be wondering what's with the rabbi. 
But when I finish the next story, you'll understand. This is my most famous Rosh Hashanah story. I don't think anyone here has heard it. If you think the last story was scary. Okay, listen carefully. True story. There was a boy in eighth grade. His name was, we'll call him Chaim. His name was Chaim. From a non-religious home. Didn't keep Shabbat, didn't keep kosher. He was in a school, religious school. They taught religious, orthodox, Shabbos, kosher. But he came from a family that wasn't. And he fell in love with his Rebbe, his eighth grade Rebbe. And the two of them became very close. And he began to grow in Judaism. And the first Rosh Hashanah that this boy ever had was in his Rebbe's house. And he loved to dip the apple in the honey. And he loved going to shul and hearing the shofar. And he was really into it. Very good looking boy. An extremely gifted basketball player. Already in 8th grade, 13 years old, this kid could play and run circles about around anybody. When he graduated, his Rebbe begged him to stay in yeshiva. But his parents were not religious. They said, we paid for 8 years, it's enough. His baby said, I'll get you free to go to high school for free. His parents said, no, we want, him to go, we want him to go to high school to public school. And he went to public school. Ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. What a ball player! And all the colleges heard that there was a great ball player in Brooklyn. A white Jewish kid, a really great ball player named Chaim, whatever his last name. I'm not going to say his last name in case you meet him. Let me turn off my phone. I found my other set of keys. I'm doing very well. Hashem. And it was now his senior year in high school. And all the scouts from all the colleges, Notre Dame, UCLA, all the big colleges. No, not Brooklyn College. Not, but all the other colleges. Maybe Queens College. They came. They want to watch him play because they all want him in their school. And he's already thinking NBA. The way he's, he's fantastic. They're writing about him, all the newspapers, 40 points, 60 points, 8 assists, 12 assists. He's, he's an unbelievable ball player. And his rabbi caught, they, they were in touch with each other all the time. And this kid used to, he wasn't religious, but for Rosh Hashanah, he would come the first day, he would come to his rabbi's house. He calls up his rabbi, he says, Rabbi, you know I love you, but this Rosh Hashanah, I can't come. He says, why not? He says, we're having the championship game in our league. And all the scouts of the colleges, and I heard there's going to even be some NBA scouts at this game, and it happens to come out on Rosh Hashanah. And I'm really sorry, Rebbe, I can't come. And the Rebbe said, but, you know, what time is the game? He said, the game's at 3 o'clock. So Rebbe says, okay, so, so just come to shul, we, we're going to build the chauffeur at 1 o'clock. Come to shul, listen to a little, you know, listen to the chauffeur, and then do what you got to do. I can't stop you, but you got to hear shofar Rosh Hashanah. You've been doing it since your bar mitzvah, since you're in eighth grade. It's like Rabbi, you don't understand. I got, I, I got to talk to the press. I got to talk to the scouts. I got to practice. This is it. This is, this is it. So he says, oh, okay. Between shacharit and musaf, there's a break before we blow shofar. Come to my house for the break. I want to, I want, I want to bench you. I want, I want, I want to give you a bracha on Rosh Hashanah, and maybe it'll help you in your game. Okay, Rabbi, but don't try no tricks on me. Don't bring no chauffeur home with a minion home. I know you. I know you guys. You know, don't, don't play no tricks. 
I'm going to come, you'll give me a bracha, and I'm going to leave. Fine. I'm not going to schlep the story. It comes, Rosh Hashanah, 12.30, the break. Chaim drives up with his, with his bicycle, big athlete. Gets off his bicycle, comes into the rabbi's house. The rabbi just got there from shul. And the rabbi says, ah, Baruch Hashem, Chaim, you came. I'm going to give you a bracha, just, just sit down. You look so nervous, you look so uptight. He's in his sneakers, his shorts, he's got his uniform on, he's ready to go. He's, he's got his fingers bandaged, he's ready to go. He sits down at the table, if you can picture it in your head. The Rebbe, Rosh Hashanah, very serious. Kids there with his bicycle, ready to play ball in the sneakers, you know, ready to go. And the Rebbe says, sit down for a minute, Chaim, relax. You look like you haven't slept in two days. He goes, Rabbi, you don't understand, you don't, you don't, you don't understand how big this is. This is huge. Rabbi, Rabbi, I'm going to be famous and, and I'm going to give you money. I promise when I get rich. You know, I'm, I'm going to remember you when I get you seats at Madison Square going, Rabbi, this is huge. And the rabbi says, yeah, but you look so dead tight. He says, you think I could sleep the last two days? I'm pacing, I'm jumping, I'm practicing. I can't sleep. How could you sleep? My adrenaline's coming out of my ears. I'm going crazy. He says, okay, okay, let me just get you a drink. You know, we'll make kiddush and, and, and you make a bracha and then I'll give you a bracha. So the rabbi goes into the kitchen. Chaim sits there, he's waiting for the rabbi, he's waiting for the rabbi, he's waiting for the rabbi. Okay. Finally, the rabbi walks in. And Chaim says, No, give me a bracha. And the rabbi gives him a bracha. You should be gebenched. Shem should give you a good year. He says, Thank you, rabbi. I'll see you in the garden in a couple of years. I'm going to make you proud. And the rabbi didn't want to say, you know, that's not what makes me proud. He didn't say anything. Okay. Chaim goes, gets on his bicycle, and starts to ride away towards the school to play ball. And he's riding his bicycle. My water's over there, so i got to walk this way. He's riding his bicycle, and all of a sudden, there's going to be a little sound effects, don't get nervous. All of a sudden, ah, boom! Always wanted to do that since school. <laughs> boom! He goes flying off his bicycle. Hits the ground. I'm okay, I'm okay, nothing happened. I'm okay, I, I, I got to go to the game. Yeah, probably... The, the, the opposite team, the opposition, they sent some guy to knock me off because they don't want to lose. You know, I'm, I'm alright, there's nothing wrong with me. And, and he's trying to get up, and he's trying to get up. And all of a sudden, this lady jumps out of the car that hit him, and she runs over and goes, Oh my God, I never saw so much blood. I never saw anything like this in my life. She faints right out. He's like, I'm not that ugly. Why'd she react like that? I gotta go to the game, come on, I gotta go to the game. And everybody's getting out of their cars and they're all going, oh my God, I never saw anything like this. <sighs> He's not going to make it. What do you mean I'm not going to make it? I have, I have another two and a half hours to the game. What do you mean I'm not going to make it? Call the ambulance, call 911, call 911. Oh! He's like, okay, okay, let's cut all this baloney out. This is the other team. They hired people to hit me, make believe I'm hurt. I'm getting up and I'm going to play. Ambulance comes flying in. Two guys jump out, they're like, oh, this is a waste of time, but this is what we get paid for. They take him, they bandage him up, and they put him on a stretcher. And he's like, get me off this stretcher now. I got to go play a game. I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm going to be in the garden. I'm going to be a Nick. What are you doing? What are you doing? And they're ignoring him. Like he doesn't exist. 
It's like, what are you ignoring me for? Who paid you off? The other team? Talk to me. Not a word. You take him, they stick him in the ambulance, and they start driving away. And he's like, my bicycle, where are you guys taking me? This is silly. They even hired, listen to this, the other team. They hired an ambulance. They painted a truck, made it look like an ambulance. You can't fool me. Now get me off the stretcher and get me out of the ambulance. I got a game to go to. Nobody's listening. Like he doesn't exist. They come rolling into the hospital. And they take him and they run into the hospital. And they bring him into surgery. And there's doctors and nurses and lights. And he's screaming. Get me out of here. Why isn't anyone talking to me? This is crazy. What am I, on Broadway? They hired all you people a hospital? This is just, I shouldn't play against this team? I'm really good. I'm really good. And nobody's talking to him. And all of a sudden the nurse says, it's over. What do you mean it's over? It's not over until it's over. And she says, it's over. I'm sorry. I have to take you through the story this way. I'm sorry if it causes pain to anyone. But I have to tell you the way the story was told to me. So I have to say it the same way. I'm sorry if anyone is in pain from the story because it's going to get a little worse before it gets better. So they take him and they cover him up. And there he is, little young Chaim, at the top of his game, ready to be a pro. And he's underneath a sheet. And all of a sudden, the door opens up and in walks his mother and his father. Oh! Now they're not going to take money from anyone. To make believe. Mom, Dad, get me out of here. His mother takes the sheet, picks it up and starts screaming. My Kenny. His English name. My Kenny. I can't believe it. I'm so young. He's like, Mom, what are you talking about? I'm fine. Just get me out of here. I can't believe they paid my mother too. And his father's crying and his mother's crying and they're screaming. And he's beginning to suspect there's something very wrong here. There's something very wrong here. And they take him and they wrap up the sheet and they take him downstairs and they stick him into a fridge. He says, now, till now, I dealt with everything. My mother faking that I'm dead and the hospital, hiring a hospital and an ambulance and all this stuff. But it's cold in here. Now get me out of here. And he starts screaming, get me out of here at the top of his lungs. Nothing, no reaction, nobody, nothing. And all of a sudden, there's a huge light. And he's no longer in the fridge. He's standing in a room, a little bigger than this room. Maybe not as nice. And he's standing in a room. And he sees it, he's looking at a table. And at that table, there's three people sitting with talisim over their heads. And he's like, Minion? Chakras? What's, what's going on here? Where am I? And all of a sudden, this huge angel comes walking out. It says, Chaim ben Moshe. Do you know where you are? He's like, No. So you're in Shemayim. What are you talking about? It's Rosh Hashanah and you were just hit by a car and killed. 
Your goof is over there, but that's it. It's over. Life is over. But, but I'm so young. How could this happen? And the Malach says, don't worry. I'm the Malach Michael. I'm your defense attorney. I'll take care of you. Don't worry. He says, well, well, what happens? What goes on over here? He says, well, they judge you. Good side wins, you go to Gan Eden. Bad side wins, you go to Gehenna. What's Gehenna? What's Gan Eden? And at that moment, the most gruesome, disgusting, meanest looking thing that you could ever imagine comes walking out. Hey, what's up, Chaim? Recognize me? I'm the Satan! I'm the Yetzirah, I'm the Mahamavas. How you doing? Oh, I, don't, I don't know you. Oh, you know me very well. All of a sudden there's a knock on the table and Bezin says, Now, judgment! And Chaim's sitting there and they wheel out a huge scale, but not the kind of scales you get out to see how heavy you are or how light you are, but the scales with two signs. And Chaim turns to Michal and he says, Angel of defense, white angel, what is going on here? And he says, it's simple. They take all your good deeds and they put it on one side of the scale. They take all your bad deeds, they put it on the other side of the scale. The good side weighs more, you go to Ganeidim. The bad side weighs more, you go to Gehenna. It's a very simple trial. But don't worry, says Michal, you're a good boy. You'll be okay. And the black Satan Malachamavas walks over to Chaim and says, <laughs> Yeah, you'll be okay. You're mine! I've owned you since you're a little kid. Oh, you'll be okay. Come, let me show you where you're going. And he opens up a window. And he sees the most painful... I'm not going to describe it, Chas Vashon, the most painful things that a person could ever imagine. People writhing in pain in Gehenna, screaming. What are they screaming in Gehenna, everybody? What do they scream? One more chance! One more second! Send me back to the world! I'll do tshuva! That's what they scream. One more chance! And we're all sitting here tonight, and we have one more chance. That's what they're screaming, because they don't have another chance. And Chaim sees this and he, he jumps back and he starts screaming, No, no, I don't want to go there, I don't want to go there. Please, Hashem, help me! Oh, says the Satan. Everybody starts talking about Hashem when they get here. You should have spoken to Hashem when you were there. Okay, let's get the court case going. Michal says, come, let me show you Ganeiden. Can't just see one side, opens the window, sees all the tzaddikim sitting in Ganeiden. Beautiful, learning Torah. I want you to know, I went today to Yeshiva this morning to learn big Yeshiva, mere Yeshiva in, in Flatbush. I haven't been there since I was in Beis Medrash. I haven't been there for 30 years. That's where, I, that's where I learned when I was young. I walked in there to learn with my brother for an hour. I'm jealous. It's Canadian. 350 guys learning. No stock market. No news, no sports, no movies, nothing. A Gemara, God, nothing. I walked out of the world. 
for one hour, I actually turned my phone off. I walked into Ganadin today. I walked into Mir Yeshiva. Guys, try it. I'm serious. Try it. Go to one of these yeshivas. Just don't, don't learn. Just sit down by a stender and just look around. How free those people are that are learning. No beeper, no Bluetooth, no phone. A Gemara. It's, I, I haven't been there in 30 years. I learn. I go for all places. I learn. But in that yeshiva, 350 guys just learning. Mwah! You don't know what you're missing, guys. You think going out there in the world, take an hour a day and disappear. It's better than drugs. It's better than any trip. It's better than alcohol. Walk in there. You're out of the world. You're out of the world. You're just you, God, and a Gemara, and a Safer. It is magnificent. I feel bad for the girls, because they would run there. That they don't have a base of to go to. That's what our Nava, that's what we're trying to build for them. Just go away from the world. The world doesn't exist. Hashem, for one hour, just me and you. Oh, what a feeling. Guess what? I liked it so much. Because right Hashem, I'm going back tomorrow. That's how much I liked it. So he saw this, on the other world, he saw Ghanedin, he saw how happy and peaceful, and he said, Michal, Malach Michal, please help me. And the Malach said, don't worry, you're a good boy, don't worry. And the Malachim, he called out and he said, okay, all the angels that he did mitzvot, come out and get on the scale. Now, depends how you do the mitzvah. You put on tefillin, but you don't think about what you're wearing, so you create an angel, he has no head. Create an angel without a head. You help your mother, right? But you do it distastefully. You have an angel, has no hands. Angels, by the size of the mitzvah, that's the size of the angel. So you can have a bunch of headless angels walking around, because when you do mitzvot, you don't think about them. But he had some big, fat angels. Big. Big guys. Sumos. Big, white sumos. Those are 400-pound Japanese guys that, you know... Whatever. They sit there like that and then they push each other off the thing. And the human beings watch it and cheer. We're never us. Okay. Anyway. And they get on the scale and they get on the scale all the times he helped his mother. All the times he helped his father. All the times he kept Shabbos by his rabbi. All the times he listened to Shofar. All the times he kissed him as a dog. All the times he put on children. All the time. Oh my goodness. They got onto that scale. Hundreds, thousands of beautiful white angels. Short ones, fat ones, skinny ones, long ones. All kinds of different sizes. And the black angel says, okay, okay, is that it? Is that all you got? Is that all you got, man? That's it. You lost. I got you beat. All right, all the Avei wrote, and Chaim did, get on the scale. Machal Shabbos, Eikon Kosher, this Avera, that Avera, this Avera, that Avera. Big, huge sumo guys. I don't have a chair here, I would stand on one. Hope I don't fall. An angel this big. You know what angel this is? The club angel. Yeah, he's up this high. The big club angel. I don't do this all the time. So all his club, Matzah Shabbat, Saturday nights, all those angels got, he had a good time. The better time you have doing that very, the fatter. The angel. We had 900 pounders going on that scale. And he's like, oh, you raised me and this time. Talk Russian horror, girls, and you enjoy it. Ooh, you're feeding that angel. Ooh, good stuff. Ice cream, fatty food, lamb chops. Yeah. We feed those angels. Pizza Hara's like, <laughs> look at this. This is fun. And Nebuch, Chaim's crying. No, I don't want to go there. 
I saw those people in pain. I don't want to go there. And the black angel walks up to him and says, No, what do you say? Who's winning? You're mine, little boy. You're mine. And Chaim's like, No, I'm not yours. Michal, help me. Do something. And Michal's pacing back and forth. What are we going to do? And the black angel says, Okay, rabbis. Look at the scale. I got him beat 100 to 1. Say it. He goes to Gehenna now. And Michal says, Wait, 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 wait. Oh, the black angel says, Those Jewish angels. Always with the lawyers. They always have some kind of... I don't know what. He says... It says that a person who has the right kavanah, machshavah, you want to do a mitzvah, but you, 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 had a, you came out to go to shul and you have a flat tire. You want to help somebody and you're not able to do it. Machshavah kemaisa. Every good thought that Chaim had to do a mitzvah, considered like he did the mitzvah. Chaim was a guy who always wanted to do good. His parents weren't religious, whatever it is. He always wanted to do good. So all of a sudden, he yelled down the hall. It's like a locker room. They're like, all the white malachim of the good thoughts. The Chaim had, get on the scale. And they come walking out. He was a good boy. He wanted to do a lot of good. Big, fat sumerai. Big guy. Sumo guys. Get on the scale. And I don't want to hold you here all night. It's exactly even. And the black malach says, So rabbis, it's even. Six months in heaven and six months with me in hell. It's even. I want to split. And the rabbis are thinking, it's even, we don't have this very usual, exactly even. And they turn to Michal and they say, Malach Michal, have you anything else? Did, can you put anything else on the scale? And Malach Michal is thinking, goes, no, I don't have anything. Satan, you have anything else to put on the scale? He's like, mm, not at the moment. And all of a sudden, there's a scream in the Bezin Shalmaila. Hold it! There's an angel coming down the hall! Oh my goodness. Chaim standing there. This is it. This, you have to understand, this is eternity. It's not like, okay, I'll be out of jail in two days. It's forever. And he starts screaming. Michal, is, is it white? Is the Malach white? Is the Malach black? What is it? What is it? Michal's like, I can't see. He didn't come out yet. And the Sultan's like, <laughs> I know who's coming out. You're mine. I'm taking you to Gehenim, to the deepest part. It's a black angel. It's over, little Chaim. He's like, please, Hashem, please help me. And he's standing there and he's jumping. What is it? Is it white? Is it black? Come on, tell me. And the black mouth screaming, black. And the white mouth screaming, white. And there are the whole places in an uproar. Black, white, black, white. And then it walks out. And then it walks out. And everybody stops. And they look at this angel. What is it? Half white, half black. <laughs> this Chaim had something going on here. And, and, and the black moth says, you know, you know who that is. And Chaim goes, no, I don't know who that is. And the white malach is turning around saying, oh, this is not good. This is very bad. We're, we're in big trouble. And the black malach goes, ha, ha, I know who it is. I know the angel. I know who he is. He's mine. He's going to become all black. He's mine. You're done. You're finished. 
And the rabbis on Bethlehem stand up and they say, Chaim, go, go, ask the angel. Ask him who he is and what he is. And Chaim walks up to the angel and goes, excuse me, you know, if you're going to be all white, I'm going to go to Ghanaian forever. If you're going to be all black, I belong to that guy. That's not a good thing. So, so could you be all white for me, please? And the angel goes, I don't have that choice. It's your choice! It was your choice, it's not my choice. And Chaim goes, what choice? What are you talking about? And the black angel says, come on, half white, half black angel. Tell him who you are. And the angel turns to Chaim and says, I am the angel of the blowing of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Oh, Chaim says, I don't believe it. My Rebbe asked me. My Rebbe asked me to stay just a couple of moments to hear the shofar, it would have saved me for eternity. I can't believe it. It's a black malach. I got on my bicycle and I left. I never heard the shofar. Oh no! And he starts to back away from the black malach, and the black malach says, You should have listened to your Rebbe! You're mine! It's over! And he takes his claws in his hand and he takes him into Chaim's back, and Chaim screams, No! As Rebbe says, Chaim, why are you yelling so out of control? And Chaim goes, Rebbe? Oh my God, Rebbe? And Rebbe says, I don't understand. I, I, I walked into the kitchen to get you a drink. You put your head down for five minutes. You're talking in your dreams. I don't know what you're doing. You're talking, you're talking. And then all of a sudden at the end, you give a scream. No! says, you're going to be very late for your game. Make a bracha and go to your game. And Chaim goes, game? I don't want to go to a game. <laughs> Isn't today Rosh Hashanah? Why are you telling me to go to a game? Rebbe, Rebbe, am I supposed to go hear chauffeur? How are you telling me to go to a game? I can't believe you're my Rebbe. You should be telling me to do the chauffeur. Rebbe's looking at him. The guy's in shorts and sneakers with a cut-off t-shirt, right, with numbers on it, and he wants to go to hear chauffeur. He says, I don't understand what's going on. He goes, Rebbe, Rebbe, Rebbe. Okay, there was a, there was a car, and, and, and then I was in a cold refrigerator, and, and, and then there was big black malach, and big white malach, and little malach, and he was half white, and he was half black, and they were screaming at each other, and, oh my God, Rebbe, you don't know what happened. And Rebbe's like, stop smoking that stuff. <laughs> Especially on Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, you don't understand, I had this dream, and, and big malach, and big malach, and big malach, and Rebbe. I'll be back in a half an hour. Don't blow chauffeur. Don't start me. And I'm going to change. And of course, after such a story, this Chaim in camp, I went to camp in the mountains. And our camp was very important to us that we won our basketball games. So they hired learning rabbis who knew how to play ball. Chaim was my learning rabbi. Chaim told this story to me when I was in camp at 12 years old. And I wasn't learning one word. And he said to me, Wallerstein, every word could be the word that changes the scale in your favor. Exactly the story that I told you is exactly what happens to every one of us on Rosh Hashanah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu calls a court case, they take out a scale. On one side of the scale they put your white malachim. On the other side of the scale, they put your black malachim, and the side that wins decides what your year is going to be like. And it could be one teeny, weeny little malach that could go on the white side and give you a good life and a good year. And it could be one teeny little black malach 
and Chas V'Shalom goes on the other side and gives you the most terrible year. You have the choice. You have the Bechira. You are in this world. You have another chance. They don't in the other world. Everyone in this room has another chance. And Rosh Hashanah is in 48 hours. Pile up in the next 48 hours as many white malachim that you can. So when it comes to the judgment, you get l'chayim v'loy l'amavas, l'toy v'loy l'ra, l'parnasa, and not chasashalim for starvation. Every single one of us has that exact judgment that I just described to you. Every person in the world, kivnei maron. No one, no one's like, okay, I'll go with my friend, judge us together. Doesn't work that way in Rosh Hashanah. They can't help you up there. Only you can help yourself. So you need to use your bechira, your choice, in the next 48 hours to make the right choices and to do the right mitzvahs. I have told this story every Rosh Hashanah for a very, very long time. About 10 years ago, I decided to start a new minhag in my house. I said, the apple and the honey is great. And the lamb's head, super. But after this story, I think we should have little black and whites on the table to remind us of the story of the two malachim and of this, little, of this young boy. So I started inviting kids to my house and having black and whites on the table. And kids said, apple and the honey, I throw in my sitter. Even an scroll has it, right? Every, but doesn't say anything about a black and white on the table. I said, have I got a story for you? <laughs> so about four years ago, a young girl came to my table. She said, Rebbe Wallstein, I don't agree with the black and white on your table. It's not good. The loktovs, it's not a good siman. You shouldn't have any black on your table. Why do you want to show the dark side? I said, well, how am I going to be able to tell my story? And she said, well, you're not a girl, so you don't know this, but they make pink and whites. <laughs> so then pink and white, that's only, that's only the good side. Pink or white, that's the good side. So, four years ago, I started to buy pink and whites for my Rosh Hashanah table. So Baruch Hashem today, I remembered yesterday, I called Strauss Bakery, and I said, I'm speaking tonight. I want you to give me 500 pink and whites to give out to the people I'm speaking to so that they could take it to their house and put it on their table next to their lamb's head or fish head or apple and the honey. And when the people on the table say, what did Wallerstein tell you? There's no such minhag. You'll say, have I got a story for you? So I just, I just want to end... Okay. I just want to end with a little secret, which I think is important, being that you're all here together and Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is tefillah. I'm going to end with a short another story, but it's very important for all of you. I don't want to just tell you what not to do. I want to tell you what yes to do. So the story is like this of a little boy. Whoever was in in Great Neck on Matzah Shabbat, you heard the story already, but it's worth it to hear it again, and every time I hear it, I get chills. And I really... The greatest weapon against the Satan is this story. He does not like when I say all this story. And that's why I like to say it. And he's not allowed into shul anyway. So, he's outside. Way outside. Somewhere in Queens Boulevard. I don't know where he is. Listen to this story about a little boy. So in the olden days, when I was a kid, many hundreds of years ago, 
they used to deliver the newspaper. Not like today, you go to the, you know, New York, you go and you give a quarter. Didn't have it like that. Kids used to put, fill up their bicycles, even when I lived in Muncie, and they would fill it up with newspapers. At 4, 3 in the morning, they would go out, and they would take the newspaper, and they'd throw it at your door, would land at your door. These kids ended up becoming big baseball players. There's many baseball players, I'll tell you, from the old days, that they start off as newspaper boys. That's how they found out they, had a good, they could be a pitcher, they had a good, hand, a good arm. No, I'm not kidding. Even, even quarterbacks, famous stories. I'm not, that's not what's important here. But they used to deliver newspapers, they used to throw the newspaper, and the kid would get a nickel a week for delivering all those newspapers. And those, you know, it used to be in those days, you didn't have your father's credit card, so you had to make a little money yourself. So there was this little kid in this town, and he used to do, he was the, news, the newspaper boy. And every morning, at 4.30 in the morning, he'd get up and deliver newspapers. But also in this town was the capital of the, of the country. And the king used to live there. And the king had a beautiful garden. And every morning the little boy would drive by and the king would be sitting there having his tea. 4.30 in the morning. Nobody bothering him. Nobody giving him a hard time. And the little boy would look up at the king and say, first of all, here's your newspaper for free. I'm not charging the king. That would be silly, right? Here's your newspaper for free. And I want you to know, king, I love you. You're the best king in the whole world. And, and my father and mother love you. And my whole school loves you. And my soccer team loves you. And, and it's so nice to keep the city so pretty and the streets so clean. You, you, you're the man. You are the man. And the king would smile and say, have a good day. And this would go on a whole year for years. He grew up a little bit more, a little bit more. And they had a relationship for two minutes every morning. Hi, hi, I love you. And he left. Now, at that time, his father, the newspaper boy's father, was a pet. He was, they were very poor. They were very poor. That's why he was delivering newspapers. And the father owned potato fields. And he used to sell his potatoes very cheap to the p- poor people. The prime minister, who was second to the king, also had potato fields. He called the father of the little boy and he said, I want you to raise your prices. Because well, I'm not making any money with the prices you're selling. And he said, Mr. Prime Minister, if I raise my prices, the poor people won't be able to buy potatoes. They're going to starve. I don't care that you're the prime minister. I'm not doing it. And the prime minister said, you're not doing it. We'll see who's boss. The next day, the cops come, the police come, they arrest the boy's father, and they throw him into the dungeon. Okay, but the boy's father was very connected. He had connections in the government. And the boy's father's friend was the minister of interior. He calls his friend to the dungeon. He says, listen, they don't give me to eat here. I'm going to die here. Go to the king. You're a minister. You're close to the king. Go to the king and tell him that I'm in the dungeon to get me out. The minister of interior says, <laughs> me and the king, we're like this. We're best friends. Of course I'll go and get you out. He comes to the king, he gets past all the guards, he doesn't have to say anything. And sitting at the door is the prime minister. And the prime minister says to the minister of interior, where are you going? Yo, I got to talk to the king. Why? Oh, there's a guy in jail, I got to get him out, he's a friend of mine. Uh, 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 uh. King can't see anybody for the next three months. We're going to war! King's planning a war! Sorry, have a nice day, throws him out. Minister of interior comes out back to the kid's father in the dungeon, he says, I don't know what's going on, there's a war. I'm the interior minister, I don't hear about it. But the prime minister said, there's a war, I can't get in. He goes, who stopped you from getting in? Says the prime minister. Says, I know why. Okay, but I'm not worried because the lawyer, the lawyer of the king is my best friend. He calls the lawyer, the lawyer comes down. He plays golf with the king. He says to the lawyer, hey, you're my buddy. Go to the king. You got to get me out of this dungeon. I'm here a day already. I'm starving. I'm thirsty. You got to get me out now. The lawyer says, I'm the king's lawyer. I play golf with him. If anyone can get you out, I'll get you out. He goes past everyone, he gets to the, minute, to the prime minister. Prime minister says to the lawyer, so what are you doing here? Oh, I got to talk to the king about who? Oh, there's a guy in the dungeon. Oh, forgot to tell you. 
There's a war going on. We're preparing for a war. King can't see you. What? Ah, I have a galfa. No golf, no nothing. King can't see you. He goes back to the to the prime to the to the to the father. He says, I'm really sorry. I went to the king, they didn't let me in. He said, Who didn't let you in? He said, The prime minister didn't let you in. He says, Okay, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna die. No, if the if the lawyer can't help me and the minister can't help me, I'm done. Next morning, a little boy walks by the king. Every morning he would say to the king, I love you, you're the best. Slap me five, what's going on? He was all happy every day. Today he walks by the king. Yeah, here's your paper. And just walks by. And he goes, Hey! The king says, Get back here! And the king's like, No, no, no. I have deliveries. No, no, no. The king says, Get back here now. I'm the king. I want you here now. Sent the front and sent the hair. And the king's like, Yeah. He says, What's up with you today? Every day, I love you. You're the best. You're the greatest. Oh, wow. Huh? Today, did your paper? What's going on with you? He says, Listen, I know that you sit there every morning. It's quiet time for you. Nobody bothers you. I don't want to bother you. <laughs> The king says, listen carefully, this is a very important point I'm about to make. The king says to the little boy, you don't understand. You're not bothering me. The whole day people come, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? You're the only one every single day, early in the morning when everything's quiet. You're the only guy that says to me, I love you. You're special. You're the best. You never asked me for four years. You never asked me for anything. All you say is, I love you. I need you! The king says, not you need me, I need you every morning to come and give me that cheer. That's what gets me through the day. Now tell me, what's bothering you? So the kid says, well, if you put it that way. (laughs) My father's in jail for no reason and I need help. The king says, your father's in jail? Right now, let's go. He takes the kid, walks down the dungeon. Everyone's like, the king's in the dungeon? King never comes to the dungeon. I want that man out now. He takes him out. Everyone's like, wow. Now we all know as Jews that when you get saved, you have to make a suda saido to thank Hashem. So this, the father of this child makes a big suda. He invites everybody to come. First guy to walk in is the minister of interior. He walks in. He calls the father. He says, hey, who got you out of jail? And the father says, you're not going to believe this. He goes, no, I need to know who is more powerful than the minister of interior. Is there another minister that could be closer to the king than me? He goes, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. You see the little kid in the corner with the ice cream dripping off his chin on his shirt? My little boy, he got me out. Oh, don't tell me these stories. You want to you wanna hide the guy who really got you out? You don't want to give me the information? Okay, we'll see what I'm going to do with you. He says, I promise it's my son. Yeah, right. I'm the minister of interior. That little sniveling little kid in the corner wiping his face with chocolate. He's more powerful. Get out of here. Lawyer walks in and says, come here, come here. Who's playing golf with the king? You know, who, who, who got you out? Who's a bigger lawyer than me? Tell me right now. He goes, oh no, I can't believe I have to go through this again. You see the kid in the corner right now blowing his nose? That little guy? That's who got me out. He's like, yeah, right, right. You don't want to tell me who the real lawyer is? Who the connection is? You want to give me your connections? It's over between us. He's like, what should I do? This is the truth. All of a sudden, everyone gets quiet and walks the king. And everyone's like, the king walked into a peasant's house out on the farm? All the soldiers are outside. Everyone's like, what? And the lawyer's thinking, now we'll find out who the connection is. And the minister said, now we'll find out who the connection is. And the king walks over to the little boy and says, come here, come here, come here. Says, everybody in this room, see this little kid here? This is my best friend. I will do anything, anything he asks me. Do you know why? 
Because this boy truly makes me happy. Because he's very thankful. He doesn't ask me for much. So, it's because of this little boy that his father is free today. Everyone starts clapping. The lawyer's like, I can't believe this. And the minister of interior says, I can't believe this. It's amazing. How many of the people in this room? Rabbi Wallerstein, give me a bracha. Makubal in Queens. You got a bunch of them all over the place. Makubal here, makubal there, makubal that. Do this trick. Read my palm, read my head, read my toes, read my name. I want to make a shidduch. because my number, his number, their number, our number, our. So the fact that it makes it, oh, it's busy, 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 busy. We're all busy, busy, busy. When you are the closest thing to Hashem there is in the world. There are many times that the greatest rabbi can't get to God. Because the prime minister is sitting there. The prime minister, the satan, is sitting there and he says, No, his tefillah is not accepted. And he finds many reasons to break that tefillah. And we're not listening to this rabbi. And we're not listening to this bracha. And we're all busy sending other people to do our work. Rabbi, you pray for me. When the secret of getting past the prime minister, when the secret of getting to the king is just being the little boy. How do we be the little boy? We wake up every morning, the greatest prayer of the whole day is the first prayer that you say. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me back my life. I don't want anything. I don't want a car. I don't want a shidduch. I don't want a million dollars. I don't want this. I don't want a baby. I don't want... Thank you. Period. Good morning. Thank you. I love you. Have a good day. Moda'ani is the only prayer that you're allowed to say without a kippah. Before you go to the bathroom, before you wash your hands, why? Is it so unholy? You didn't go to the bathroom yet. You're full of, ooh. right? Your body's full. You're not allowed to daven. If a person wants to go to the and you feel you have to go to the bathroom, you're not allowed to daven. Here a whole night, your body's full, and you have to say modani before you go to the bathroom. And you don't have to wash negavasa, and you don't have to even have a yamaka on your head. Why? Then what do you think, why? And the answer is, because you can't do all the other prayers unless you say thank you. So everyone in this room has the power of that little boy. Every single morning, if Sarah or Malka or Chaim or Moshe gets up and the first thing they say in the morning is, God, you're the man. God, I love you. Thank you for this world. And thank you for my life. I'll see you tomorrow. If you do that every single day, I'm giving you a secret. I'm giving you one of the deepest secrets in tefillah. You can blow away the, the satan. You can blow everybody away because you have a way around them to the king. What happens when you had a bad day the day before and you had a bad night and there's a tragedy in your family? Like I said, girl went out eight times. She's expecting him to get down on one knee and say, will you marry me? He doesn't get down on any knee. And he says, I don't want to go out with you anymore. And she's broken. Or he, the vice versa, he thinks she's going to say yes. He says, will you marry me? And she says, are you crazy? <laughs> and he's all broken. He goes home and he says, I'm broken. So the next morning when he gets up to say Modani, he says, yeah, thank you, Hashem, for this world. Yeah. Thanks a lot, God. I'll see you. I'll see you later. Hakash Baruch comes and says, get back here. Get back into bed. What's wrong? 
Where's my little Sorola, my, my mayor and my Chaim, who every morning is so happy and jumping? What's wrong? No, no, Hashem, I don't want to bother you. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not going to say what happened. I'm not going to... Hashem says, you don't understand. I need you. You're the only guy in my whole world that wakes up every morning and says, I love you, thank you, see you. So you don't even have to tell Hashem what you want. Hashem's going to come to you and say, what's wrong? What a power every Jewish neshama has. What a crazy power. Pass the minister, pass the lawyer, pass the makubal, pass the rabbi. You, you have the power to get right to the king. Just tell him, thank you. I love you. It's all he needs. It's all he wants. Yes, you have to dive and you have to put on tulin, those are all mitzvahs, but those all come after Modani. To heal him and all the brachas and everything that girls daven or boys daven, that all comes after Modani. You don't say Modani, you don't say thank you. You may not get past the prime minister. You say thank you every morning, God will come to you. You don't even have to go to him. That's the secret before Rosh Hashanah, everybody. This is what I'm leaving you with. Don't stand at Rosh Hashanah and give God a whole shopping list. Well, this year, I want a new job. Shidduch. Ferrari. I want to be healthy and strong. Those 20 pounds I want to lose, it should work out that diet. That's for this side, not this side. That's this side. That's a whole shopping list. So that tefillah on Rosh Hashanah may go, may not go. You're going to have a lot of problems. Because there's going to be a lot of prime ministers in the way and say, yeah, where's he been all year? Now all of a sudden he woke up. Come Rosh Hashanah night and say, God, I love you. Thank you. I have feet. I have hands. I have ears. I have eyes. I'm alive. I have another chance. Thank you for giving me another chance. How many people do you know that passed away this year? How many people did not get this Rosh Hashanah to have another chance? Everyone in this room, Bezrat Hashem, is getting another chance. Isn't that enough to say thank you for? Your Rosh Hashanah has to begin with a thank you. If it begins with a thank you, you got past the Prime Minister, you got past everything. Because Baruch is going to say, I want to know what she wants this year. Malachim, I want to know what he wants this year. We got to keep them happy because they get up every morning and they're happy and they're jumping and they're saying thank you. So, three secrets tonight. The last one, get up in the morning, say Moda'ani. And it's not about the Hebrew words of Moda'ani. If you don't know how to say Moda'ani, just get up in the morning and say, I love you, Hashem. Thank you. I got a chance. I woke up. I'm not dead. I'm not in Shemayim saying, one more chance. I have another chance. Thank you. Baruch Hashem. You know that saying, someone told me that in their apartment building, there was this 95-year-old guy, and every morning she'd say, how you feeling? How you doing? How you feeling? One morning he said to her, listen, listen girl, I'm in pain. Every part of my body hurts. My back hurts, my legs hurt, my eyes hurt, I can hardly see, I can hardly hear. But you know what? If I ever wake up at this age and I'm not in pain, I'm dead. <laughs> Sometimes pain lets you know that you're alive. We have to thank Hashem for everything. I'd like to wish everyone a and of course tzatoraanytime.com They are absolutely amazing. They also 
I'm, I'm not doing an advertisement. I, I'm talking to you from my heart. He wants me to do an advertisement. I'm not doing an advertisement. <laughs> I'm talking to you from my heart. Listen to me. You don't even know how big that malach is. Any of you in this room that Matzi Shabbat, instead of going to a movie or a club, you sit in that shul, and you don't have to watch my share. It doesn't matter what share. It doesn't matter who share. But you don't go to that movie and you sit and you watch a share. That's a 9,000 pound malach that you're putting on the white side. And this guy standing to my right has made it possible for you to have all those malachim. And there's no bigger, no bigger akaras hakaras. And we need, I have to advertise a little because the bottom line is, and ain't kemach, ain't Torah, they need financial help, they need to buy cameras, they need to hire guys. There are, I think, what, how many, how many people give you 30? You have online? 30. There are thousands of rabbis every week that speak from Phoenix and LA, from Israel. He wants to give you a choice of any rabbi in the world. To do that, he has to buy a camera for every rabbi that they're going to take. That they're going around. He has to hire somebody. So the more money we give him, the more we help him, the more this is going to spread. It's amazing. I was always against, very much against the internet. Very much against the internet. Very much the telephone. You can talk a lot of Lashon Hara. There's, there's TorahAnytime.com on the internet to make it Tahar. So at least if you go to the internet, you can go to somewhere that's kosher. There's Kol HaLashon, which is on, which is a, a phone number that you call, that you can listen. So the phone that we use so many times to talk Lashon Hara, we can sit and listen to a, to a share. It's amazing. It's using what Hashem gave us for the good. I would like to invite all the women. I'm sorry, guys. I would like to invite all the women. Be'ezrat Hashem. It's not a speech. It's an event. In Mirza Hashem, next Tuesday night in Brooklyn College. I know it would be better if it was in Queens College, but it's in Brooklyn College. It's only for women. Rebetzin Jungreis is speaking. She's amazing. Rabbi Eli Mansour, I don't have to tell you how amazing he is. Wallerstein, whatever. <laughs> the three of us are speaking. Never before, you have Ashkenazi, Sephardi, and a woman on the same, on the same stage. It's going to be very interesting, that's for sure. You definitely want to be there. So I am inviting everyone that's here tonight. We have tickets in the back. I told Abizit, who works for Arnava, it's, it's tzedakah, the money, I, Baruch Hashem, have a business. I don't get paid by Arnava. Hashem pays me in many different ways. I don't get any money from it. All the money you give to Arnava is used for shiurim, for girls to make weddings, for girls who can't afford to make weddings, to buy clothing for girls who don't have clothing, for, for yantif. To, to, to sponsor girls to go to Eretz Yisrael. It's, it's really all used for tzedakah. So therefore, there are tickets that we are selling outside. It's a chizik for me. You should know that. It's a chizik for me that we should have 2,300 women. There's 2,300 seats. It's a chizik for me, for Rebbe Tzadim, for Klai Yisrael. That, that, you know, it's always guys going to Shurim. Guys... You know, all these things are for guys. The dafyoyim is for guys. The garden is sold out for guys. Well, we made something that's an event for women. There should be 2,300 women in there. There's going to be three shiurim. It's going to be amazing. I, I, we're, we're, we're offering. We have expensive tickets. I offered it um, the other night. We have expensive tickets. We're willing to give them. We have $100 tickets, which we're willing to give for $50. And those are good seats to the women that are here tonight. The guys, it's tzedakah. There are girls that cannot afford to come. I'm telling you straight out. There are girls in school that I went to that said, Walston, I want to come. I don't have $25. I really want to come. I don't have the money to come. I think the biggest mitzvah 
A girl that buys herself a ticket is a mitzvah, it's beautiful. But a guy that buys for a girl a ticket who he doesn't know, who he's never going to see, and he's supporting her to go to that cheer, and her life may change from Tuesday night, because I can tell you from last year it changed. And you, without even knowing the person, you're getting nothing back for this, nothing. Give $25 towards a girl or $50 towards a girl that she should be able to go. You never know. That might be the girl that you're going to marry. You never know how Hashem makes things work out. Anyway, I want to give, I want to give everyone a bracha and a present. When I finish, I don't want, like to just talk. I like to do, I have 400, I think, pink and whites packaged in a bag, each one. So we'll ask, I guess, um, I don't know, the boys are the boys first, the girls first. Maybe the boys that will send them out, whatever. The girls, ladies first, but I don't know if we want the ladies to come to this side, we want the boys to go, whatever. Okay, he's going to make a couple of announcements, but they're all here. You should take it, it should be a bracha. You should, your, your, your year should be pink and white, Taka. It should only be pink and white. You should all have smachot this year. Whoever needs panasa should have panasa. Whoever needs a zivug should have a zivug. The chayle, the sick people should all have a refor shalema. And when and Yisrael, the whole nation should be able. We should have nachas from our children and our grandchildren, and the Jewish nation should be able to finally go to Eretz Yisrael, go to the Beis Hamikdash. Mashiach should come. To everybody in this room, Hashem should come to you and ask you what you need. Okay, want me to sit? First of all, the live please. One more round of applause for Rabbi Zechariah Wallerstein. A few very, very important announcements. First of all, tonight's lecture will be on TorahAnytime.com by tomorrow night. Please tell your friends about that. Secondly, although I will not be running the Youth Minyan, nevertheless, there will still be a Youth Minyan taking place in the third floor and a children's program taking place downstairs here at the center. Number three of Zamir Koran Hebrew Lecture this upcoming Sunday night. The following Sunday, September 23rd, Rabbi Mansur will be in Queens. The emails will be sent out very shortly. Number five, Emmet Fellowship has a very special program which I have witnessed. Small group learning programs with different rabbis from Muncie. It's a great opportunity for growth in Torah knowledge. Now, if you want information, there will be flyers being handed out in the back. You can meet Rabbi Rudenberg or Aaron Kataib over here. There will be flyers in the back. Please pick it up. It's for people between the age of... 18 and 30. College students till the age of 30, please pick up the flyers in the back. And number six, Chazak really wants to wish everyone this year alone, we've had about 10 events over here with an average of 450 people. It wouldn't be so successful without your help and without your advertising. Thank you very much. And may Zad Hashem be all to be in Yerushalayim ben Amen ve'amen. One more thing, we have to thank tonight's sponsors. The Natana family sponsored tonight's event in memory of Bitya Batsarach, Ruach Hashem, Tanachan, Megan Eden. Thank you very much to them. The cookies will be handed out outside. No pushing, no shoving. Please, straight line, enough for everyone. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.